Amen. Amen. We meet in the name of Jesus this morning, don't we? It's His name that we meet in. Why don't you look around? All these people meeting together in the name of Jesus. He is the one we are centered around. Maybe you're at home online this morning. You're joining with us. We are meeting together in the name of Jesus on the balcony, in the chapel, in the courtyard. He is the one we crown, we exalt. Let's continue to do that. You can grab a seat. We're gonna share in communion together. If you're at home, um, I wanna invite you to do that as well. Maybe you might need to jump uh, to the kitchen for a second. Feel free to do that as we continue in worship together. Just as we come to to meet together and sharing this meal, I wanna read you some verses out of John 6, 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. The bread and the, the drink that we take this morning, for sure they are, they are physical elements. And indeed, physical food nourishes our mortal body. But uh, what we actually read is, is this is something that has been ordained by Jesus to signify that uh, we are actually feeding on Him this morning. You see, everyone who has come to put their faith in Jesus has been born again. They are not simply mortal being, they are now spiritually alive. And just as we uh, keep our bodies sustained through physical food, so too Jesus ordained, instituted this meal that we share in this morning to be the sustenance for our spiritual life. Our continual remembrance, Jesus says, He says, the one who remains in me, our continual remembrance that Jesus gave His flesh and His blood for us, for you, for me. This is us feeding on Jesus, receiving the life that He has given to us. Our spiritual life is one where we pour out our our mortal life, ourselves for the sake of others. And of course, the way that that is sustained in us is by looking at the fact that Jesus poured out His life on our behalf. And that is what this meal signifies here this morning. And so wherever you are um, at home or here at Bridgman, I just invite you to take the bread now. And uh, I wanna read to you as we do this out of 1 Corinthians 11. Paul speaking to the church. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. 
And so I invite you now, if you've been born from above, to take that bread and eat of it now. Receive the life that Jesus has given to you. Let's do that together. I wanna invite us to actually stand as well in this moment as we take the cup as a symbol of our unity, that there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, white nor black, male nor female, all are one under Jesus Christ. Let's take and drink of the cup together. Lord Jesus, this morning we receive the life that You have given to us. We feast on You this morning, our spiritual being sustained by the sacrifice that You made on our behalf. Thank You, Christ, that through Your death, You have shown us Your deep love for us. Greater, man, a greater love no man has than this, that he would lay down his life for his neighbour. I am the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. We receive the life that You have laid down, that You have given to us, Jesus Christ. We participate in the divine life this morning. And so Jesus, today we declare Your death until You return again. We say that we are people of Jesus Christ. Our identity is in You no longer black nor white, male nor female, accountant nor carpenter, all are one in the Name of Jesus Christ. This is our identity. We are Your people, Jesus, and we love to be called Your people. We love to stand next to You in the crowd and say we are proud to be called sons and daughters of the living God. Thank You for the life that You have given us. We worship You. We declare Your goodness and Your love. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Let's worship, church. Oh, Jesus. You are our way maker, miracle worker, promise keeping God this morning. And we thank You now that we can come to Your Word, God, that You're a God who speaks. We're expectant, Lord, of what You wanna say to Your people today. We thank You and praise You. In Jesus' Name, Amen. As much as I would love to be blessed by the presence of Sunday Switches here this morning, Pastor Dan is far more exciting than I am. So if you are high school age, you are welcome to head out now and join the Sunday Switch team. And the rest of us can take a seat as we hear God's Word here together. Promise keeping God. I've just been playing over um, some words that actually came out of this series a couple of weeks ago. We're in a series in 2 Corinthians, if you are joining us for the first time today here online in the chapel, the mezzanine level, welcome. It is awesome to be together today um, in 2 Corinthians. And it's about letting light shine in the darkness. And Paul referenced just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at um, in chapter six, this passage in Isaiah 49 where the prophet Isaiah prophesies that speaks to a day that would come where God's people would be reestablished and restored, that where salvation, they would know salvation in Him. And there are some beautiful lines that follow those words that say, come out in freedom, 
come into the light. And it just has been replaying over and over in my head, even as I've kind of dug into God's word in chapter seven this week. I'm gonna read the first verse of chapter seven from the Passion Translation. If you um, are kind of always used to reading the Bible in one translation, I'd really invite you to kind of open up a different translation and read it. It kind of gives a, a fresh perspective sometimes to our reading God's word. So here is the first verse from 2 Corinthians. Paul says, beloved ones, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Paul addresses us as beloved. It's a beautiful word, isn't it? Just say it out loud now, beloved. It's the, kind of, it's the kind of address that makes you feel like God just kind of wants to pull us onto his knees and wrap his arms around us and look straight into our eyes to speak to us today. Where is beloved? And it sets the scene of this overarching framework of love that this whole passage sits in. We are meant to hear this today in the love that God has for us. Paul is not only reminding us of the love that we live in, in this verse, but he's urging us to respond to that love by removing anything which contaminates us. And in doing that, we're moving toward holiness. Paul sees holiness as our goal as God's people, living in God's love. I had an encounter with holiness this week. On Monday, I attended a funeral in a really old church in the city, and there was a sense of holiness as you walked into the building. Beautiful stained glass windows, that kind of lifted your eyes to the heavens as you took them in. Skillfully crafted sculptures of the passion of Christ around the walls. An amazing domed ceiling over a reverent looking altar. There were Latin words everywhere and as I sat there, I Googled them to see what they said, just to kind of check it out and make sure it was okay. They are ushering in the presence of God. God the Father, the Son and the Spirit were welcome in that place. There were other words inviting the Holy Spirit to come. There was even angelic singing in Latin in this church as we waited for this funeral to start. All of these things are designed to reflect the holiness of God's presence, connecting us to his glory and his righteousness. And as the Holy Spirit fills us, we are being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. This is the process of developing holiness. It's growing in us, God's character, God's heart, his righteousness and glory. This is how the kingdom of God unfolds in the world. His light is shining in us, into the world around us. It's how other people come to know him and see him. 
I think Paul gives us some really practical tips here for growing holiness. One, it flows out of this deep love that God has for us and our deep love and worship of him. But it also involves intentionality to remove everything that contaminates our body and spirit. I think what Paul is saying here, what Paul is calling us to, is that we need to deal with sin. We need to get rid of sin. Sin contaminates us and hinders us from growing into the holiness that we are called to. Thankfully, Paul does not say this is an easy process. Let's keep reading. In verse two, he says, again, I urge you, make room for us in your hearts for we have wronged no one, corrupted no one and taken advantage of no one. I'm not saying this to condemn you for I already told you that we carry you permanently in our hearts and you'll stay there throughout our lives for we live together and die together with an open heart Let me freely say how very proud I am of you and how often I boast about you. In fact, when I think of you, my heart is greatly encouraged and overwhelmed with joy despite our many troubles. Verse five, even after we came into the province of Macedonia, we found no relief. We were restless and exhausted. Troubles met us at every turn. Outwardly, I faced conflicts and inwardly emotional turmoil. But God, who always knows how to encourage the depressed, encouraged us greatly with the arrival of Titus. Even if my letter made you sorrowful, I don't regret sending it, even though I felt awful for a moment when I heard how it grieved you. But now I'm overjoyed not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. I think more than any other passage written by Paul, this gives us a real insight into his heart. It reflects God's father heart to us. There is such a depth of concern and corresponding emotion over these believers in Corinth. Paul cares passionately about them. His care for them didn't end when they decided to put their faith and trust in Jesus. He didn't just walk away at that point and go, okay, that's great, now my job's done. He is deeply committed to their ongoing faith journey. He felt the weight of responsibility to disciple them, love them through the challenges that would come their way, love them through the sin that could so easily distract them from what God had started in their lives. Discipling is an important part of our church's calling. It is why connect groups are so important. We don't just put our trust in Jesus and and that's it. We've ticked the faith box, we've done it all. No. Faith is meant to be lived out, worked out in community. That is why Jesus established the church. We are meant to grow in a community together. We are meant to show God's love in community together. We are meant to share the good news in community together. We're meant to encourage one another. 
We're meant to walk alongside each other in working out our salvation, grappling with God's word for us and being accountable to each other in our faith journey. Paul felt the responsibility of this gospel message that he had been entrusted to share and the responsibility of holding these ones he loved to truth, the truth of that gospel. This chapter reveals to us that this wasn't always an easy job for Paul. There is some issue of sin that he is addressing here. We don't actually know the specifics specifics of it. Maybe you could read through the the other parts of the letters to Corinth and and take a guess, but he's, he's not clear about what this sin is here. What's clear is that he is taking on the unenviable task of confronting this sin. Paul is not usually one to beat around the bush. But this passage gives us this insight into the wrestle he's having over dealing with this issue with these people that he loves so much. Before we go on thinking that this word from God today gives us the right to point out other people's sin, I think we need to caution ourselves. Paul did not do this lightly. He is in anguish over this. He's restless over the potential impact of this on relationships. It is so important for us to see here that Paul is examining his own motives. He is is telling them that this is not about condemning them. He is not throwing the rule book at these people. It's actually coming from a heart of love and it is grief over them. He writes this letter and sends it off with Titus. He's sensitive here because relationships are at stake. Relationships are important. Hear that this morning, church. But we can't avoid addressing sin because the consequences of it actually damages relationships. It damages our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. If you read this whole passage, Paul keeps referring to his heart. He is speaking from his heart to these Corinthians. Paul wants us to grasp here that the process of addressing sin in our lives is heart work. It's hard work too, right? But it's heart work. Walking the journey of faith alongside others is heart work. Responding to this call to holiness is heart work. Paul goes on to give us more about what is going on here. He says, now I am overjoyed, not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow, and as God intended, it brought gain for you, not loss, so that no harm has been done by us. Verse 10 says, God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. When the Holy Spirit in in great love 
with this holy intention of growing us into the likeness of Jesus. When he makes us aware of sin in our lives, there are actually two ways of dealing with it. As believers in relationship with Jesus, and this is who Paul is talking to here, we become aware of our sin and we are meant to experience sorrow. We're meant to realize that sin hinders our relationship with God. It hinders our relationship with others. Sin is damaging in its effects. It contaminates holiness. And this grief or sorrow over sin can be a godly sorrow or it can be a worldly sorrow. It's like there's a choice between two pathways here. What is Paul talking about? Maybe an example would help us unpack this a little more. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, two of his followers wronged him. Take Peter. Earlier on that same night, he was sitting with Jesus around a meal and said, Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus came straight back out to Peter and said, actually, before the morning comes, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's response was, no way. That will never happen, Jesus. He was so adamant that he even said these words, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then just hours later, Jesus is arrested and all the disciples desert him, Peter included. And when people see Peter standing there, maybe hanging around trying to catch some of what's going on and sort of point out that he was actually one of Jesus' followers, he hung out with Jesus, he says, no, I don't know Jesus at all. He did that three times. And then when morning came and that rooster crowed, Peter realized his sin and his response was to break down and weep. The sorrow of his sin was in those tears. He felt the grief of the rift that his sin had caused in his relationship with Jesus. But if you know Peter's story, you will know that after Jesus' resurrection, he meets with Peter on the beach. And Jesus restores this relationship in love. I want you to know that Jesus' love for Peter never stopped or changed in this whole process. But Jesus allowed Peter to receive that love that came from reconciliation. He actually renewed this call to serve him on his life. And, and Peter walked in that love from then on. This is what Paul is calling godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Judas was a different story. After betraying Jesus to the Jewish leaders with a kiss, the gospel account in Matthew tells us that Judas also realizes that he sinned. Matthew writes in chapter 27, 
When Judas realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. And he said to them, I have sinned. I have betrayed an innocent man. And the Bible tells us their response was this, what do we care? That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. This is worldly sorrow. And the difference here is that it does not lead us back to Jesus in repentance. It focuses on ourselves. It focuses on us trying to fix the things in our life that aren't right and wrong. It heaps on guilt and shame and blame. This is not life. Worldly sorrow leads to spiritual death. The realization of sin and the sorrow over that sin produced a very different outcome for Peter and Judas. Both of them realized that sin had damaged their relationship with Jesus. Both of them were full of sorrow for what they had done. But there were two different paths from there. Peter's sorrow led to repentance, heart work taking place in him, love shining light, dispelling the darkness of his sin, bringing restoration and transformation and life. We have a savior church who rescues us from our sin. This is salvation. The path Judas took when he realized his sin was the opposite of this. His heart is filled with guilt. His attempts to, to fix it himself weren't working. He's not open to the love that's available to him even in the mess of this. His anguish at the spiritual rift has caused, is just overwhelming for him. And it leads him down a very dark path. It is one of the saddest parts in the whole Bible for me. I can't help but think that Judas was taking his own life because he couldn't see a way that God could ever forgive him. Right at the time when there was a savior giving his life to conquer that sin. Giving his life to make forgiveness and love available. Jesus gives his life to overcome the darkness of sin and the spiritual separation of it and the death that goes with it. In Jesus, it is finished. Christian author K. Arthur says, sorrow over sin can take us to Sinai or it can take us to Calvary. Sinai was where the law was given to Moses, where our sinfulness is exposed before the holiness of God. The law highlights our sin problem, but it was never meant to be the solution to that problem. Throwing the rule book at sin does not produce change. It actually makes it worse. It magnifies the sin. At its very best, the law tells us we have to try harder and be better and do more because we will never measure up on our own. It doesn't address the core problem that's, uh, that sits in our heart. 
victory over sin was won at Calvary. Listen to these words that Paul wrote to Titus, the very messenger of our story. He says in chapter three, verse three, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Can I hear an amen this morning, church? (laughs) At the cross in love, God takes on our sin and in this incredible exchange offers to us victory over it. Repentance, godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, which actually brings joy. We are forgiven. We are washed clean. We are set free. He gives us new life. God's love overcomes sin and it changes our heart. I really want you to get this today, church, because I know that God is calling us into freedom. I know he's calling us out of darkness and into light. And I know that the work that he wants to continue to do in us and in our community starts with repentance. It starts with shedding what is holding us back from the fullness of the freedom and life that God has for us. There's a bit of pressure in this sermon, in this series, sorry, in 2 Corinthians, to have a prop. Have you noticed that? We have our tents. We have had um, a cross crate where the sides of the cross stayed up, amazingly. I still haven't worked out how that happened. We've had a lot of things, and so I felt the pressure to have an illustration in a prop for you this morning. So Pastor Andrew, pull up our prop. Yeah, thank you. Sin is like a heavy chain in our life. I'm struggling here. This is what sin is. It weighs us down. I wish you could feel how heavy this is. I wish you could feel how constricting it feels over me. I I can't worship, I can't raise my hands in worship carrying a chain like this. I can't really be free to serve and love people with a chain like this. I just have to change my page. That's even difficult with a chain like this. 
when we realize our sin and we feel the sorrow of it, we realize the weight of what this is. It weighs us down and we're not free. We can get stuck in the trap of thinking that this is just what life is. We can get stuck thinking there's no other option than to live like this. We're burdened by the guilt of it, burdened by the shame of it. I don't want you to see that I'm carrying this. What will you think of me if you know that this is really my life? We try and blame others for it. This isn't my fault. If you knew what I'd been through, if you knew what had been done to me, you would understand this struggle that I'm in. We get resentful and bitter and angry because we're weighed down with this burden. And perhaps the saddest part of all, when we're carrying sin like this, it stops us from knowing God's love. We hear it, we read about it, but we don't understand it and we don't know it. We can't receive it because we're weighed down with this burden. This is worldly sorrow, church. This is what it looks like, just carrying these chains around. But godly sorrow is a different way. In godly sorrow, we realize that we're carrying sin and we are grieved by it, realizing that this is inhibiting my ability to worship and love God and to receive love from him. But we know that there's only one solution for this problem. And that solution is in Jesus. Jesus invites us into his love. He leads us to the cross where he says, I took the burden of your sin away. I took it all to the cross so that you could be free of it. You don't have to carry these chains anymore. Lay them at my feet. And he invites us to do that. To be free of it. If you could feel how different that is, you would appreciate the lightness I feel now. This is freedom, this is life. Jesus has victory over the sin in our life. He stands over it and he invites me to stand over with him, in him. And church, that is the freedom that he's calling us to today. That is the freedom that he wants us to know that that burden of sin is his at the cross. And in exchange, he has given us freedom to worship him, to love him, to love others as he's called us to, and life in him. I have lived loving Jesus, carrying chains like that around. And God in his grace told me that I don't have to live like that anymore. That's not the life that he rescued and saved me for. 
There is freedom for us here this morning, church. Freedom in Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. And as his light shines over us this morning, he is calling us to freedom. Please bow your heads in prayer with me. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us. Lord, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If we feel guilt and shame and blame God, that is not you speaking to us. And today, God, we lay our sin at your feet. Lead us to repentance, God. Lead us to our knees. Lead us to knowing that you are the one who has taken our sin away, forgiven us, washed us clean, set us free, God, to live this incredible, wonderful, abundant life that is found only in you, Jesus. So God, I ask that you would break chains this morning, that you would free the oppressed, that you would open hearts to receive your love like, the, like hearts have never known before, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and bring freedom and life in this place. Oh, Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you. In your precious name, amen. We're gonna worship this morning, church, and, and I just invite you to sit where you are just for the first verse of this song. Take a moment, just open your heart to God. Make room in your heart for Him to speak to you right now. Maybe He's laid something on your heart that you've been carrying that He's actually taken away. Give it to Him this morning. Ask Him to come, pour out His love on you, to lead you into the freedom life that He has for you, church. Then maybe Jack, as we get to the chorus, we'll stand and worship together. Well, church, I just want to tell you what we've heard this morning is the core of the message of Jesus. You know, one big question we might ask ourselves, how does God view us in our worst state, in the dirtiest, the darkest places, the sin in our lives? And we've heard this morning that Jesus takes it at the cross. That there's freedom in Jesus. Where do we take it? That there is a God who loves us so much. What does He want for us? I love David's response. God, do you, do you want burnt offerings? Do you want sacrifices? No. God just wants a humble, contrite heart. That in our brokenness, we would just come to Him and say, God, you... You love me in my brokenness. In 1 John 1.9, it says, as we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us for all unrighteousness. He will forgive us for all unrighteousness. That is the good news of Jesus. That is what He wants us to live out of that place of being loved and set free in Jesus. That's the call for us. And so let's pray today that God would help us live out of that freedom that we have in Jesus. Well, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you love me. 
in my dirtiest, darkest, the hidden places, the sin in my life, you loved, you came for me, you've rescued me, you saved me and you want life for me. And Lord, it's true for every life here. And actually, if Jesus is speaking to you this morning, that just a sense that, you know, you know those chains. I want to read that verse over you, that if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive you from all unrighteousness. Now you can stand on that, you can pick that up, that your sin is taken away, you're forgiven for all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, I want to pray that, Lord, we would be people that would live out of the fullness of the freedom that you have won for us, Lord. Lord, as we get entangled with sin, that we would be humble people that would come to you with contrite hearts, Lord, knowing that you're a God who loves us and is gracious towards us in that place. So, Lord, we thank you. This is good news, not just for us, Lord. This is the good news for the world. This is for our neighbours. This is for everyone. There is a God who loves them that has come to rescue them and come to give them a life of freedom. We thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for being with us, worshipping here online, up in the mezzanine. It's great to have so many people here this morning. Please take a seat and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week.